Let's talk sources of truth for network automation today. You you okay with that? Ah, excellent. Glad to have you on board for this conversation with Jason Edelman and John Anderson of Network to Code. We are going to discuss an open source software tool they've put a lot of time into, Notabot. If you've used Netbox, Notabot will have a rather familiar feel, which we are going to explain in just a minute. Jason and John, welcome back to the Packet Pushers Podcast Network on this episode of Heavy Networking. In fact, uh, John, you were on a heavy networking episode not all that long ago. Uh, it was a show back in May 2019 talking about Netbox as a source of truth. But Jason, I want to go over to you for this first question here. What is Notabot and how is it different from Netbox? Hey, Ethan, thanks for having having us on. You know, I think it, it deserves some discussion around the history with Network to Code and Netbox and even kind of talking through source of truth in, in general. So I think you know, fundamentally, we have to understand source of truth and you know, how it's used to, to drive networking today. Over the past several years, you know, going into 2016, 17, 18, and so on, Netbox was an open source platform for source of truth that it really was the only platform that, that existed. And if we look back in 2018, I think it was, as a business, that was probably our first project with with Netbox. And so, in terms of like, what, what did that really mean? Like it meant that we saw we understood the gap in the marketplace to be able to store data in a source of truth and have that document the network and really drive start to drive network automation. As we progressed on this journey, 2018, 19, you know, at Network to Code, we we saw sort of like the market trends. You know, we were getting feedback from the community and, and our customers around you know, things that were needed within the network automation ecosystem and really source of truth ecosystem. And you know, we had we had a lot of a lot of time, a lot of effort, development, marketing community with uh, with Netbox over over the years. But I think it was becoming more more apparent to us that there needed to be uh, just a, a different a different vision to be able to accomplish what we had in mind for source of truth and network automation. So to speak to what Netbox really is, I mean, it's it's a DSIM. You can manage your data center down to a rack and port level you know, with that product. But what, what you're saying is over as you were guys were getting deep, deep, deep into network automation, doing big projects for enterprises, Netbox was falling short for you, even though you guys have uh, some of the lead developers for the project on your team. Well, so back then, right, we did, right? So back then we had lead developers of Netbox on our team. Ultimately, there were there were gaps that we saw in probably point in time features. But I was I'd probably say there was a growing, a growing separation with where we saw the platform going. And I would say like the vision and the direction was really paramount to us to make that decision to to fork Netbox and create an Autobot, if that makes sense. And like that vision was all centered around network automation. We can kind of talk some of the use cases and features, yeah. Over the long haul, you see the direction of Netbox going somewhere different than where you would have needed it to go to do what you needed in the network automation world. So it's like, okay, flag in the, in the ground. Uh, we're going to fork Netbox, make Notabot. That gives us the freedom to turn that into the tool that we need without kind of bolting on a bunch of stuff that would be weird for the people that use Netbox for Netbox things. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, when we when, when we break it down, I would say at its core, Nautobot is still a source of truth. 
and to, you know, again, ultimately to drive network automation. But I would say fundamentally the the shift and or really the add-on in direction, because the source of truth part hasn't really changed per se. But I would say like the first the first level of effort for us were, were to really enhance it with APIs and things like that to make it more automation friendly. And going one step further on network automation is to really have Nautobot be an application platform to complement the ecosystem of tools that exist out there, really to round out a strategy with uh, network automation across the board in terms of independent of size and scale of any user out there. Okay. Okay, man. Now it sounds like you're pitching to the executive board. So we got to, we got to get down to the brass tacks a little bit about what Nautobot's really doing for us these days. Cause we, we, we've used the word source of truth and we've used a lot of other mm-hmm. uh, buzzwords that we hear in the industry and on this podcast. So, so plug Nautobot in for me into the open source software network automation world. I got Python and a bunch of libraries I might use and things that do things in my Python world for me. Maybe I use Ansible. Maybe I use Terraform, uh, et cetera. How does uh, – position Nautobot in that world so I understand what it's doing for me, how I'm going to be using it? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's worth noting that Nautobot is fully open source. It's an open source project that falls within the Nautobot community itself, meaning that Network to Code is the primary sponsor of the project and that – even in its infancy, you know, of course, Network to Code has put a tremendous amount of effort uh, into Nautobot itself. Uh, we do have a good amount of uh, community interaction and community effort towards development as well, even at this early stage in, in Nautobot's ultimate life. Uh, but as far as, you know, wh- where does it fit within the realm? You know, when we talk about network automation, you know, de facto stack, you know, is always this question of Ansible or Python and some other tooling, right? And that tooling ultimately services, you know, how do I talk to network devices? How do I configure them? How do I get data back out of the network, right? Well, where Nautobot and tools like it fit is around the data that drives the intent of what that configuration should be, right? So we we need a way to exercise or, you know, tell that tooling, you know, how many VLANs need to go on this interface? You know, what, 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 what's my routing protocol stack? What are my connections between devices and things like that, right? Because if we don't have that, we're, we're in kind of this services automation world, right? Where humans might have some playbooks that we can make the job of configuring a device faster. And, and that's certainly useful in terms of the evolution of automation. But we need to get to a point where we can model the intent of the network such that we are making changes to a data model that describes what our network should look like. And the tooling can go and make it so. And then we can also build additional automation infrastructure around that ecosystem so that we're constantly checking, okay, is the running state of the network what it what it should be against the intent and so forth. And that's really where Nanobot fits fundamentally from a data perspective. But also Nanobot intends to be a, an application platform for network automation. So John, let's let's back up a second here because you've said something that I think we need to clarify. So source of truth, it's one thing to define source of truth and say, it's a database, it's got fields in it and you store stuff. It's another thing to say, this is to help you express your intent and push state down into the network as a whole and make sure that the network state as you intended it is enforced uh, as that network is running. So is Nautobot a source of truth or is it also now an actual tool that is observational 
and looks at the running network of the state and uh, running state of the network, compares it to what I intend the network to be and enforces that state. It's it's a really interesting point. And I think it's worth noting, you know, out of the box, Nanobot does provide some of these source of truth uh, feature sets around, you know, we've got some core data models for tracking, you know, inventory of devices and interfaces and connections and VLANs and things like that. Out of the box, Nanobot is not a monitoring or management platform, but we do have a heavy focus on this concept of the app platform. So if you want to make Nanobot do those things, you can. And those can be valid uh, use cases, uh, you know, given the situation that you want. And, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about plugins and, and different use cases, you know, here in a few minutes. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it is meant to be kind of that, that, that platform for servicing those use cases with centered around this, this you know, warm nougaty center that is the source of truth. So I could, in theory, bolt on some sort of an add-on to not a bottom, a plug-in, if you will, as you're saying, you're talking about this app platform that verifies I've got a three-tier leaf spine network and that all my BGP adjacencies are up and running in a, you know, my intended way. That That's something I could uh, write that code and add that to Nautobot functionality if I wanted. Absolutely. Yeah, well, one thing I want to do, Ethan, as we progress forward is just to kind of just level set. And if you can kind of look at it top down, I know it sounds sort of like, you know, higher higher level at times. But when you kind of break up Nautobot and envision these, you know, maybe two overlapping circles, you know, source of truth, database, store data in there to drive the intent. And this other piece John's talking about now is like this app platform piece. I would say like the history for that us is like as we've engaged with dozens or more projects over the years, there, there was always there was always gaps in fulfilling needs and, and requirements to deploy something, right? And one of those could have been your example of how do you validate and verify topology, let's say. And you know, given the extensibility of something like Nautobot, it makes it much in a much more streamlined fashion to have that be an application with an Autobot versus yet another standalone application that has to go through the vetting process. Linux team, security team, cloud team, all these teams to get into prod. So now with now with you know, let's say Nautobot in production, these become apps that live on top and they could be really small, lightweight apps or extensions or, or, or thicker apps. The example I've given even recently, I'll say it to you, Xena, you kind of you go way back is this, when SVN emerged and Open Daylight or everything else, there was like these northbound apps that existed. And I think you can think about like Nautobot it's not a controller at its core, like SDN controllers exist, but at its core, it's the source of truth platform. However, it enables any user, open source, or, or keep it private, should you wish, as a user, or to create these northbound apps that exist sort of on top of Nautobot to do whatever you want them to do. And clearly, there's some that we've built, but other users are building their own as well. Well, I could I could argue why not just use the Nautobot API and leave it there. Then I can have my tools just hit the Nautobot API as the source of truth, and we're done here. But you're making the argument, Jason, that if I use this as a platform that's been vetted for use in my organization, extending its functionality is much easier because now I don't have a different tool that I've got to vet and go through that process and so on. Is there other logic there of why not just leave it at an API? So I think it's worth noting 
those use cases that you describe are perfectly valid. And there's a lot of adoption around that. You know, I've got some tooling that's maybe not directly sitting inside of my app platform that is Nautobot. You know, e- even with Nautobot, you know, we provide an SDK Pi Nautobot, which is, you know, written in Python for getting data into and out of Nautobot itself through REST API interfaces. We've got Ansible collections. Uh, we've got a GraphQL interface, which we're really excited about. So those use cases certainly exist, but what Nautobot also provides is that level of abstraction that's needed, in my opinion, fully necessary in this day and age to effectively manage the data. You know, So yeah, you can have an API, which is an interface to your data, but if you don't have you know, a nice interface and nice workflows for actually managing that data, there's right. certain levels of the organization that you know you you just won't be successful in, right? Oh, you just made another great point for me, John. The workflows, the interface, what you're dealing with when you as you deal with that data matters. If all I've got is an API endpoint that I'm talking to to pull that data from, it's incumbent on me to code all of that in, or the other tool that I'm using that's pulling that data in to not suck, uh, basically. <laughs> And there's also two types of, of sort of apps to consider, or maybe even there's more, but I'll, I'll focus on two for, for now. You know, one application type is around data itself, right? And, and there's, you know, there's an application now that exists in open source that we call SSOT or single source of truth that allows, allows users to pull and push data into Nautobot. So you could take a current database that stores let's say circuit data, you can take your current IPAM platform, maybe that is Infoblox, what have you. And in terms of driving automation, you know, again, oftentimes when you have dynamic inventory or you're trying to pull from end sources, the goal right now is to let's aggregate that data into Nautilbot, even if it's not the authoritative source for that piece of, of data. So you get to use the app platform to really bring in more data into Nautobot, but you can also push it into other systems as well, should you want to in service. Now, so one part of the apps is totally around data and just makes sense to have all that data streamlined in terms of REST APIs, GraphQL, and you know whatever, whatever else. Then there's also the other end of the spectrum of like literally true standalone applications. And I talk about one a lot because it's, it's the one most orthogonal to data, you know, it's just chat ops. You know, we, you know, we also have open source, a set of like chat ops apps that can live on Nautobot. And that one probably best showcases like the app platform functionality, because that's one of maybe like the only ones that don't use data. Like the vast majority, no doubt, are just leveraging the rich data already inside or adding to it to really show the relationships that exist between all the data and environments really to do smarter automation. I'll, I'll give one more example around like IPAM, let's say Infoblox. We've seen this a bunch where Infoblox has been deployed for the past 10, 15 years, but it lacks a lot of metadata in sort of using custom attributes and things like that in Infoblox. If some of the metadata exists in Nautobot, you could in theory, you know, suck in some of the IPAM data from Infoblox, but leverage some of the other attributes and metadata, maybe around devices and interfaces and things like that, and write it back into Infoblox. I think to to bolt on what Jason is mentioning there with the single source of truth, I think um, that's a really key topic uh, in what we're trying to do with Nautobot. And you know, Jason mentioned the, the the single source of truth plugin and the ecosystem that exists around it. And I think it's from he, what he described in his use case there with Infoblox. I think it's really key to point out, you know, single source of truth doesn't 
mean that there's just one system that owns all the data, right? I think that's a common misconception. Uh, the way I always describe it is there's a single source of truth per data domain. So Infoblocks in Jason's example may be the authoritative source for your IPAM information. But we know from our years of experience that realistically, if you want Nautabot to be successful in being the intent of the network and driving network configuration, we still need that IPAM data inside of Nautabot so that we can form relationships of prefixes and IP addresses to interfaces and links and things like that, right? So we need that data. And what the single source of truth plugin and pattern in Nautabot allows us to do is continuously synchronize that data from sources like Infoblocks or BlueCat or whatever, right? into and out of Nautobot. So there's a two-way sync there that you can enable. So if you want uh, Nautobot to be the authoritative source, but you want Infoblocks to maybe service DHCP and DNS as network services, you can do that without configuring data within those systems directly. You can have that live in Nautobot. Uh, and underneath the hood, the single source of truth plugin is using an open source library called DiffSync, which means that we're actually calculating diffs on a per attribute level of the data. So it's not just record-based, right? You know, we're not just sync, we're not taking a record and just shoving it out somewhere. You know, we're actually comparing what does that piece of data look like in the target system? What does it look like in Nautobot? And, and doing an intelligent diff between the, those two instances. And, and that scales, you know, we're not talking about just IPAM data, right? That scales through the entire ecosystem. We see a lot of use cases with uh, device inventory synchronization into downstream monitoring and management platforms, for instance, uh, and other things. So, so that single source of truth use case in Nautabot is really key to the vision of Nautabot being kind of the, the central place for network automation from a data perspective. Okay. Again, this what, what you guys are doing with this tool is starting to come together in my head now, uh, the, the way you're talking through uh, different of these challenges. Can I go back to the GraphQL that you guys have mentioned a couple of times? Um, I did a podcast on Day 2 Cloud with Ned, and we chatted with our guest about uh, GraphQL and what all that does. What is the Nautobot GraphQL offering, if you don't mind my digging in? Is it just like you kind of repackaged Apollo and it's there, I can you know do things myself? Or are you using it to present like all the data across all these different sources that you're talking about and uh, basically give me a really unique API? Yeah, so and maybe worth taking just one step back, you know, for, for those that may not be familiar with GraphQL, it is an... I'll call it alternative interface to what one might traditionally think of as a REST API in that, you know, we're using HTTP calls to retrieve data uh, from the system or in certain cases, publish it. In Nautobot's case, it is read-only. So we're only pulling data out of Nautobot with GraphQL. But uh, in essence, what happens is in a REST API, the system that you're talking to creates or, or it exposes the interface. And it's a very rigid interface, meaning I have an endpoint where I can get my interface data. I have an endpoint where I can get my devices. And the API says, you will always get this payload when you make that request. And it will always be structured this way. As in, I'm giving you what I'm giving you. There may be 58 fields in here you care nothing about, but I'm sending it all your way. Right, exactly, exactly. What GraphQL does is uh, the QL stands for query language. And what you're doing is you as a client, when you're talking to Nautabot, you're, you're specifying a query saying, I want this data. And I want it formatted in this specific way. And, and graph, the GraphQL interface will take that query and say, okay, I'm going to traverse the different relationships that exist in the data model down at the database level and so forth. And I'm going to return that data in the structure and the format that you want. So I might want all of my devices 
and all of the interfaces that exist on those devices. And I think an interesting use case is I want the remote side of a connection on an interface. And with GraphQL, I can do that in a single query and it's very optimized. So if I only need the device name and its management IP and its interfaces, I will get only the device's name, its management IP and its interfaces as a part of that query. Versus in the REST API world, I may have to make four, five, six different API requests. And then more importantly, once I get all of that data back on the client side, I have to munge it. I have to reform those relationships with different payloads that I may have received. But again, I, as the querier, have the ability to tell Nautilbot running GraphQL, these are the fields that I want back in the payload. Send them to me. And you, as Nautilbot, have access to all of this data across all these systems you know, in theory, I could construct some pretty interesting queries that are unique and have it be a perfectly efficient request and uh, retrieval of that data. Yes, absolutely. And and one of the more recent features that we're really excited about is this uh, saved GraphQL queries feature in Autobot, where, you know, when, when I'm doing some complicated automation, I may have iterated over a query and it may have become quite complex, right? But it services my specific use case and it's optimized for exactly what I'm trying to do. Well, in Autobot, I can go in and paste that query and I can save it. And effectively, that query that I just created becomes a new dynamic API endpoint that is now exposed to anyone that wants to consume it, meaning the client doesn't have to keep up with that query anymore. They don't have to specify it every single time. They can now request, okay, I've got my save query, go execute it, which is really powerful. And, and you know, another really big point about GraphQL you know, going back to the optimization is, is we've seen a lot of things, you know, people love Ansible, of course. And people love dynamic Ansible inventories. And people have been doing this with, with Nautobot and Netbox for a while, right? But we've seen a lot of performance gain in using GraphQL as the means of interfacing between Ansible and Nautobot for the specific data that's needed for those dynamic inventories. So it can really speed up your executions and optimize what you're doing with your playbooks by doing that. It does feel like there's a big burden on the Nautobot server, though, with all of what's going on here. Do I have to be running this thing on a big box if I've got a big network with, you know, many thousands or millions of ports? So not really. You know, it, it doesn't scale, I think, in terms of what network engineers might be used to in terms of certain historical network monitoring and management systems. You don't need to operate an entire data center just to run the application here. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it is fundamentally, it's it's a Django application with a database backend, and we support a couple of different database backends, both Postgres and MySQL primarily, but also Dolt, uh, we'll talk about probably in a minute as a version control option. But, you know, you, you've got Django as the, the web application layer, and you can scale that uh, horizontally. It, it's, it's a traditional interior application, right? So that there's different ways you can scale it and so forth, but it is optimized for, for web requests. So it really is, a, at the end of the day, it's a web application, right? Now we can do certain things with uh, the feature set to turn it into a network automation platform, right? But you know, we, we, we don't have the scale concerns that one might think of you know, in thinking of uh, you know, traditional monitoring and management platforms. Yeah, well, so let's make up a network monitoring system here. I'll call it uh, Sunny Breeze. If there's a lot of polling that goes on on my imaginary Sunny Breeze uh, network monitoring system, I got to add pollers and pollers and pollers and pollers because it's doing so much work. Nautobot isn't, in fact, a monitoring platform by default. So you make a good point there. It can be managing uh, a lot of data, 
but that doesn't mean it's you know constantly grinding away uh, doing polls and you know database ads and deletes and updates and stuff. So okay. right, and, and 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 I think you know that's that's where certain integrations that we have. I think that's where it's important to talk about those use cases. Where if you if you are building a network automation platform where you do want to do some of those monitoring and management capabilities at a certain scale. You could do those directly in Autobot with our jobs capability. Uh, you know, we've even got uh, a Nornir plugin um, that that you can do some fun stuff with. But you can also integrate it with Ansible Tower, you know, or, or or other such orchestration systems, right? So you're offloading some of that work, but you've got the direct integration where you can trigger events with webhooks or certain or you know other jobs and so forth around data events, data change events within Autobot. Well, we should probably take a step back, guys, because we kind of jumped into this conversation like, well, it was like Netbox and then you forked it. And so how is Nautabot different? And we've had the conversation that we've had so far, but maybe we should take a step back and talk about all of the major features of Nautabot. We've mentioned source of truth, single source of truth. We talked about some of the GraphQL capability, but I think there are some major pieces that we haven't talked about yet that we're missing. So let's take this opportunity to highlight that for everybody. Yeah, there, there's really so many, and we'll try. We'll try to. We'll try to cover maybe a few here. And I think John alluded to it already. So maybe one we can take take a stab at right now is this idea of adding version control to Nautabot. Things like think about Git semantics and version control in general. You know, it's quite common these days to be able to version control files and store them using Git locally and push them to a a, a Git remote, which could be GitHub. Right, as an example. So, so think about that workflow and what it offers in terms of making a change to a file and getting peer review along the way. So I'm going to make a change. Clearly, I want John to review my pull request. Once he approves it, then then from there, you know, we feel better about whatever whatever is in that repository. For us, like what we're you know what we're doing now with version control is adding it to data. So think about logging into a UI and making a change to data. You know, you want to add a VLAN, remove a VLAN, add a device, add an IP address, really anything you would do leveraging the core models within with an Autobot is adding the ability to do things like create a branch to be able to make commits to that branch and open a pull request, which then goes through that review process to then have that data be merged back into a quote unquote main branch in Nautilbot. And again, for us, it's, it's when we think about a higher level, like we, we promote it as really safer network automation, right? Because at the end of the day, Git is great in what it offers, but it is it is at a lower level, right? It, it sort of requires you to be operating as infrastructure as code along the way. But you know what we see in terms of the requirements around API access, programmatic access to get to the data. And when you know, when you change that data, a lot of things can happen for better or for worse with automation, as we, you know, as we know. So we want to be able to promote that safer automation with adding this version control feature set into, into Nautilbot. So with that branch approval merge mindset that, that coders are used to if they've been using Git and, uh, and storing it in a repository like GitHub or GitLab, you're saying Nautilbot is that repository, the, the repo for uh, the code. It's not pushing the change, but it's giving you a mechanism that you can write a change, submit a change, get the change reviewed, and then merge it in. And then once it's merged in, what are we talking about? Nautabot doesn't push the change, or, or, or does it? Correct. Well, it goes back to what, we're, to what we're saying. I would say in this use case, it's not pushing the change. 
It's really just a matter to get the right approvals for that for that data. You think about enterprises who still love ITIL, right? We know Greg loves ITIL on, on your team, right? So <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, this this might be a platform for for Greg to take a look at who can embrace ITIL and and really honestly have the historical tracking for data for data changes. And and ultimately then you know should a user want to have that trigger a change then then they could right if think if it's things like webhooks or events and, and so forth ansible could then you know pull the latest and uh, you know apply something like that but now you've gone through a very rigorous uh, change control process and a bigger thing here jason in my mind would be rolling back so if something went south on our even though it was all approved we've merged and now we've applied and now the network's down I could go to an Autobot and say, okay, I need to roll back and my version control would allow me to, I'm assuming here, go back to the network state that was last known good. Exactly. You can revert accordingly and have that have that essentially then be the data source that would be used to fetch and go apply that to your network device configurations or, or what have you. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we've seen the industry over the last several years start to adopt these these concepts of having your intent described in a system like Nautobot, right? People people latch onto that. They say it's great. But as they get into it, they get more advanced. They start scaling their use cases. They start running into some of the nuances that become quite problematic around having an intent that's constantly validated against the running state of your network, right? And to me, it shows its ugly head the most around uh, stage changes and change windows. So I might have a huge change to my core network that might involve you know, changes to multiple links, different addresses, and so forth. Maybe I'm deploying new devices that are connected, removing old ones. Realistically, as a network engineer, I'm doing my due diligence and I'm making those changes to my system early on in, in that change process, right? But if I only have one system where I'm describing that intent, that becomes problematic because I've modified that intent to describe that new change that's coming up in a week that might get deployed you know, Saturday evening or so forth. What happens to all of my automation that's validating the running state of the network? Because my intent has now changed. You know, how, how do I make that difference? Well, with a version control system, you know, we can fire up a new branch. At the database level is, is really the key that, uh, that Dolt unlocks here. Make my changes all in the web interface. Nothing changes there. I can go through my review process, and I can actually merge that branch during my change window. Okay, John, so you've, you've mentioned a lot of capabilities here that we have because of, of Dolt, uh, this database that's it's not MySQL, it's not Postgres, which I'm guessing most engineers in this call are at least somewhat familiar with. So what is Dolt all about and how is that giving us capabilities that MySQL and Postgres are not? Yeah, great question, Ethan. And I'll, I'll do my best to, to answer it. I'll, I'll defer to John on some of these details. But essentially, Dolt is an open source database right? that leverages the MySQL dialect to interface with it. And you know, it, there's, they're a, a young, hungry startup that is leveraging technology that you know, gives you the capability to get these Git semantics at a data at data level, as I was alluding to earlier, typically we're talking about your Git and and files, looking at file based diffs. So Dolt Hub is the company behind the Dolt open source database. Their sole focus is around bringing Git semantics to data and databases. And so even going back to your question earlier, thinking about like remote repositories, as a company, like they do have a remote data repo or organization called. 
Bolt Hub, which is their company. So in theory, you could push your data set right to that to that Dolt remote on on Dolt Hub. Now with an Autobot, everything is self-contained within with an Autobot. But in the future, really, there there wouldn't there wouldn't be a problem, right, to leverage their APIs and, and, and be able to push push that data. So from our perspective, you know, we did establish a partnership with Dolt Hub, the company, to be able to to uh, build the version control application. So it is an app that sits really on top of Nautobot, but requires the use of the Dolt database to be able to give this you know, branch, merge, uh, PR functionality to the overall Nautobot core feature set. John, do you want to add anything uh, else to that? I think that is a key point around, you know, the, the database of use there. So, you know, as an organization decides they want to deploy Nautobot, they're going to eventually get to that technical question of what database backend do I want to use? And for most people, it'll be at this point in time, either Postgres or MySQL. If you want to use these the, 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 this Dolt integration with the version control app, you would be using Dolt as your yeah. database. And as, as Jason said, it is a, it's a MySQL compatible dialect. So if you are familiar with MySQL, you know, you'll be able to interact with Dolt as the database, just as you would MySQL. There's some additional uh, syntax. And um, I believe they've actually implemented most of the Git functionality just as a series of what you might consider just stored procedures or functions uh, within SQL. Um, as far as, you know, how do you create a branch? How do you merge it? How, how do you check out things that, uh, that, that sort of thing? Well, we keep going down these interesting rabbit holes, but, uh, but the core of our focus right now, major features. So we were talking about source of truth. Now we've talked about uh, version control. What are the other major features of Nautabot? So, you know, when, when we set out uh, with Nautabot, we had this big focus around extensibility of the data model, which meant that Nautabot ships with a somewhat opinionated stance on some core data models. You know, what does a device look like? How do you model interfaces? How do you model VLANs and things like that? And, and there are certain relationships that exist in that data model already, right? And and those relate to how do you how does that data model interface with the real world of networking, right? You know, VLANs are assigned to interfaces. VLANs are not assigned to devices, right? In the real world, right? If, if we think about fundamental networking, of course. However, for certain use cases those relationships might get in the way, right? Or, or they might become cumbersome or there might not be necessary relationships for me to be able to accomplish or accommodate the automations that I'm trying to build. So in Autobot, we built this uh, awesome feature called custom relationships, which allow me as a user to go into the web interface in Autobot and take two models that already exist and create a relationship between them. And those could be one-to-one relationships, they could be one-to-many, or they could be many-to-many in terms of uh, database semantics. But what you're doing is you're creating a relationship that did not exist out of the box that you can then use for whatever purpose you want. And that has co- that has uh, native support in the web interface and the REST API and notably in GraphQL as well. So a use case that, that people might often come up with is, you know, maybe I have a management VLAN per rack in my data center. I can create a relationship because this doesn't exist out of the box directly between the VLAN model and my rack model. So I can call that my management VLAN. Whenever I'm pulling my rack data, I can get that association to that VLAN directly, as opposed to an indirect association where I might have like a custom field or just even by naming conventions, something on the VLAN itself. That's a little bit more cumbersome to deal with from an automation perspective. That's a big one. We have custom statuses, of course. So 
you know, historically statuses were hard-coded values that uh, an organization or users could not change. Uh, and that's that, that, that it caused some, some headache for, for certain use cases, right? So device statuses, I can define as an organization, whatever I want them to be uh, at this point. And they're open for anywhere that statuses are used. You say status, I think of things like up, down, halfway, you know, these kind of things. Is, is that what you're getting at? Yes, exactly. So the device status, I think, is where most people will resonate with that. But status is used on several other models like prefix or things like that. I found in my experiences, we've deployed Nonobot in larger enterprises. It really comes in when you start integrating with the, the single source of truth use case with maybe like your existing CMDB or other systems that have defined workflows for maybe like how an RMA works. There might be multiple steps of an RMA that define statuses that exist only in those in that system. Maybe I need to replicate that to, to make the, the synchronization of the data work. So having uh, the ability to define those custom statuses is really key. In terms of maybe a, a lower level one and a, and a larger one around around security, one and John alluded to to custom fields a little bit, but I was going to hone in on one called uh, computed fields. And you know, you know, I guess I'll example I'll give here is things like interface descriptions, and you could define a a description in uh, in Nautilbot. However, you know, w- what if you want to have a description that leverages other data within the system? An easy example is the, the neighbor of the device, or it could be the neighbor of the device, the the neighboring interface, the IP, or any other data that you want to you know really aggregate together to build that complete interface description. The idea of a computed field, you now could dynamically generate that, leveraging custom Jinja filters that you could add to the Nautobot platform. So you can you know write some Python code and create Jinja filter. And in real time, essentially, when you go to fetch this computed field, it'll pull that data in from maybe local data on that instance of the model of an interface, let's say, with the remote data. Really, at the end of the day, it goes back to even the GraphQL point you made, Ethan, around calculating on the server side with an Autobot. That way, the Python code or whatever is on the remote system doesn't have to do all that logic. You now, like the architect of the platform, let's say, could build that and certify it, you know, such that you would just be pulling this aggregate computed field. That's a really neat feature. You just reminded me of another thing that I got to deal with all the time in my Python code, which is secrets management. I'm passing things in with environment variables. I really have been wanting to move to like, I don't know, HashiCorp Vault or something, but that also seems kind of heavy. Does not about do secrets management? Yeah, that's a great one. I was going to cover that one next. And so basically right now where we are, we're very soon to be releasing well, 1.2 beta just came out. And so, you know, 1.2 is getting released in, in end of November, early December of 2021. And what we're doing is adding some native secrets integration with HashiCorp Vault to start and AWS Secrets Manager. But again, it's a, it's a provider model. So it's open source, you know, others can be added because of what you just said. Right now to manage secrets, you know, you're either A, um, putting them in text files, which I don't think many people are, or B, putting them in environment variables and leveraging some automation systems, right, to dynamically deploy those environment variables. However, in enterprises, larger enterprises especially, they already have those platforms deployed like a vault. And so what what the integration is going to allow users to do is really map credentials in a, a vaulting system to a, a device or to an object within, within Autobot. So you can dynamically fetch 
let's say, you know, I'll use the app examples, you know, for if we're building an SSOT integration to synchronize data with the CMDB and IPAM or whatever it is, all of these integrations require secrets, right? So now what you'd be able to do is store those secrets, right, within within a, a HashiCorp vault, as an example, uh, fetch that, and then integrate with those remote systems. And, and so that's going to be really a, a huge one because there's there's always a lot of sacrifice, I would say, with security teams leveraging right the plethora of environment variables now be able to nat- really natively integrate with secrets management platforms like a vault and AWS secrets manager. And, and, and I think it's really key in that provider model that we've got, the values of the secrets themselves are never stored uh, within Nautabot. They don't touch Nautabot's database. Uh, Nautabot does not deal with them in that way. And, and this goes to, you know, secrets management is not a core competency uh, of Nautabot. And so what we've done is offloaded that interaction with industry standard platforms like HashiCorp Vault or AWS Secrets Manager. So we give you an interface to that data through Nautabot, but we don't store it ourselves. Another thing here is discovery. Does Nautabot do any sort of discovery or am I building up relationships myself? Okay, here's my switch, switch one, 48 ports, let, let's go. And I'm doing a bunch of data entry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, out of the box, no. However, uh, getting back to the app platform, there does exist an onboarding plugin uh, that does aid in, you know, you give it an IP address or a, or, or a prefix, it will go and scan that, find out those devices and provided, you know, you, you, you've given valid credentials to log in, it will go in and collect metadata with Napalm and so forth and create those records uh, within Nautabot for you. So, so really aids in onboarding and there are use cases for continuous synchronization. And for such use cases as that, you know, I, I would say, there are valid needs for continual synchronization, but I think it's really key an organization should sit down from the beginning and think of, you know, okay, do I want to do that or do I want to go down the intent route? Because you really are talking about two different models. There. I was going to say those are really different things. There's the, there's the model that represents what the network should be versus monitoring what the network is. Those really are different things. Comparing what the network is to what the network should be is a, uh, kind of your ideal state. That's where you want to be. You want to have this model that represents the network and not have it polluted by what the network is living in the same database, if you, if you know what I'm saying. Exactly. But that being said, you know, I think there are valid use cases out there where maybe I want to use Nautabot as living documentation. You know, maybe I'm not in a world where my teams are ready to, to jump into this, you know, fully intent-based network automation realm. Maybe I just want to have Nautabot tell me like what's actually out there. You know, maybe I'm in a in such a case where as a network engineer, I don't actually know the state of my network, right? You know, I think that's a world that we've all lived in at some point in our careers, right? Uh, you know, gone into a new organization, you know, may, may, maybe maybe our predecessors no longer there, there was no documentation. Now, I could use a tool like this to go out and do some discovery and and actually learn what's out there, but I guess my point is um, organizations should be deliberate about understanding those differences and deciding what path they choose to operate on. Yeah, real quick, I was going to say in terms of what what John's saying. So we you know we have you know, some integrations that we've built, you know, just to kind of showcase what's possible. You know, we we had done some work with IP Fabric, who has an automation insurance platform, as an example, who do a lot of discovery. Right, your typical, you're going to go out and crawl the network and ingest the devices and the interfaces and things like that. And you know, so we you know we have been exploring the an SSO T or synchronization 
app or plugin to pull in data from a platform like IP Fabric, right? So lever- leverage those platforms that exist to go discover the network, onboard it, then that could be synchronized into an Autobot. However, it's still very important, you know, as is being said already, to to have um, to have a direction of like, do you want to continuously just onboard what's there? Do you want to focus on it for the very first time? Just for your initial data, you know, that, that, that is a big effort, right? That one, that first time data population. The first time, that's the thing that's in my head is like, a, it almost be a blocker. If you've got a big network with hundreds of devices and thousands and thousands of ports and you, you hire an intern and say, okay, here you go, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> These, oh boy. Yeah. And that's the thing I was going to point out, even within this SSOT plugin framework, even if it was, let's say IP fabric, you ingest it the first time. The great thing is that framework has a, a check mode, right? So if you're if you do want to do the daily check or the incremental check, you can run it in dry run mode to see what data would change. That way, you're going to review it before you merge it. Even going one step further, again, the version control application is you know is brand new, just getting released as well. That we're talking about being powered by adult database. You know, there's some things that we can brainstorm on and even even put out there. I think we want to get feedback on things like this because it does branches. You could even maintain a branch that focuses more on discovered state, right? Continuously do diffs along the way to see, hey, we discovered this state. You know, how does this different compare to the actual state or just maintain different instances for operational versus uh, versus intended. But as long as there is a there is a no pun intended, an intended path for for those operations within an enterprise, then I think, you know, then I think, you know, we're in a you know, we're in a good state. Yeah. And, and I think the, the 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 point that we're kind of dancing around there is, you know, obviously we want the data to get into not a bot. And if we do want it to form the intent of our network. We do have to put a lot of effort and due diligence around correct management of that data, ensuring that the humans are actually keeping the source of truth up to date, right? Uh, and, and we do have some feature set around uh, aiding them in doing that. You know, custom validation is there so that I can define organizational specific data validation rules that will prevent users from doing certain bad things with my data. You know, if I have naming convention for my devices, or multiple naming conventions for my devices, <laughs> I can I can express that validation rule and prevent anyone from creating devices that don't conform to those standards. And you know that's that that that's a simple use case that I think uh, resonates with a lot of people. But the power of that feature set allows me to uh, apply that concept across the board with all of the data in Autobot. Do most people put their entire network into one instance of Autobot? Because networks, especially big networks, they're just networks of networks. You know, you got this branch office and this core network and this data center that are all kind of standalone networks plugged together with a WAN of some sort. To, do people take the whole thing and put it all in Nodabot? Or do they have like, this instance of Nodabot runs this office and this one is for the data center and so on? Yeah, I mean, by and large, we do see most people, you know, trying to put their entire network in there. And, and the feature set supports it. You know, we've got a region hierarchy and site model that allows you to express the different intents of the physical locations in your network. There's different metadata categorizations you can apply to devices to say, okay, this is part of my core network. This is part of my, you know, branch access network. This is part of my data center and so forth. And there, there is robust uh, access control permission so that if I have, you know, if I'm a huge enterprise and I've got, you know, realistically multiple towers of my networking org that are managing the different aspects of my network, I can control that, you know, say only my data center folks 
can touch my data center devices within Nanobot and so forth. So, so, so that certainly exists, but the ability to still have it all in one place is, is really powerful. Yeah, and the, the idea behind a lot of what we do day to day is around building the enterprise-wide network automation strategy. And, and I say that because like there are there are a lot of different domains and a lot of different you know SDN controllers and platforms that exist in the data center and the WAN and even firewall managers and so forth. So you know as you can see you know we've talked a lot about synchronizing data, and so you know we definitely want to embrace those controllers when they are deployed. It's also important to think about where does intent come from? Like should there be controller have the intent, or should Nodebot have the intent? At the, end of the, at the end of the day, as long as it's done, again, with sort of intention in mind, the goal really is to aggregate that data, to really to simplify workflow automation. And oftentimes, even we talk about Beak across SDN controllers or across legacy and modern networks or legacy and cloud networks. So the goal really is to bring it all, bring it all together. What should I be aware of using Nodabot in its current form? Is there uh, limitations or things to be aware of that might change how I use the tool? You know, as with 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 anything that exists in the networking world, this is not a it's not a magic silver bullet, right? This isn't going to come in and solve all of your problems, and we we don't try to kid anyone on that fact, right? You know, there there are use cases that Nanobot does really well at, and there are certain things that you know you should probably look for integration with other tools, right? But you know, I think first and foremost, we should talk about like the, the native data modeling capabilities. So out of the box, Nautabot is not going to be able to model your entire device configuration. But this comes back to the fact that we are an app platform. And what we're really trying to do today is expand that data model so that we can, in pursuit of you know generating the full device config out of Nautabot in terms of the full intent being described there, we're trying to use the plugin ecosystem as a way to... Um, so coming out uh, soon as well. Are these not Yang models then? Are these kind of data models that are more specific to the needs of Nautabot? Right, exactly. And, you know, and, and, and we've talked about that in the past, right? You know, I think you know, Yang is a, is a particular technology that tries to be very generic and, and generalized. And, and we take sort of a similar approach in that we're trying to service the greatest common denominator in terms of the data model that is here. We're not vendor specific in any form or fashion in the data model that exists in Nautilbot. That means it's really hard to create these data models, right? It is no trivial task. And anyone that has done any form of network automation where you're even just sitting in a blank YAML file trying to say, how am I going to describe the data that I need here knows this problem, you know, because I, I can craft something together in a few minutes where I can build a configuration, but can I manage that data? Is it extensible enough for me? Am I modeling only the attributes that I need today with no consideration for what I might need tomorrow? It's a really hard problem, but but our hope is that through the the app ecosystem, we can use plugins as a as a way to try out these data models, kind of proof of concept them, and then eventually get them into the core data model itself. Uh, on the core data model, mentioning Yang, like you go look at a Yang file, and like it is it is tedious, right? It, there's hundreds and thousands of lines. So as John's alluding to, we want to have sort of like the core base and almost like minimum. The minimum viable product that's relevant across vendors and platforms, but also not to forget with an Autobot, you know, the, the things like custom fields, computed fields, relationships, because sometimes like those things within the platform help in terms of not overcomplicating the core models 
that exist. Because if if only Juniper or Cisco support a BGP attribute as a custom field, might not be part of the core model, let's say. Okay, so so native models are a, a concern, uh, or not, not a concern, a, a, just a limitation that you, you work within, knowing that uh, plugins and so on can extend those models to whatever you might need. Uh, what other things to be aware of are there, John? So, you know, I think it, it, it goes back to a point, you know, we, we've made a couple times already today, but, you know, understanding what is not about trying to do and what is it not trying to do, at least out of the box, right? You know, we're, when, you, when you install an Autobot, it's not going to talk to your network. It's not going to give you intelligence. It's not going to log into devices and so forth, but it can. And, and this goes down to, you know, what, what does the organization want? How much effort are they putting, are they willing to put into it? There are certainly, obviously, for certain use cases, there's plugins that you can install uh, day one and, and get going with these sort of things. But I think it is important to consider, you know, what, what are you trying to do and where does Nautobot ultimately fit in w- w- within those use cases? Any concerns of IPv4 versus IPv6? We do have native support for v6, and there's even a configuration option that um, you can set to say that I want to prefer v6 over v4 uh, in terms of the data that I've got. So if I'm doing some dual stack, you know, intent where I've got both both v4 and v6 address space defined, you know, I can set that option to say, okay, when you ask me when I'm creating a device and not about ask me what do you want the management IP to be, you know, I can have it show me my v6 addresses first. So, so that support is there. Uh, we don't have any concerns around, um, you know, supporting V6 and, you know, either today or, or going forward, of course. I think the, the industry has a, has a bigger hurdle in figuring out whether or not they want V6 to be a thing versus not a bot. <laughs> <laughs> what is next for not a bot? What's on the, uh, the not a bot roadmap? We have a lot of focus around apps and plugins. And I'll just state they're, they're synonymous right now. We're, we go back and forth between apps and plugins. And just to state that fact, because we've you know, used them back and forth in the conversation, because it's so important to us, we want to lower the barrier to entry to create and extend Nautobot. Right now, it does require some Python and Django experience. And you know, our, goal, our goal is to simplify that and really make it you know, much more uh, straightforward to, you know, to extend. And we continue to, to improve that experience every release that we, uh, that we have. I would say other things, groups, you know, think about network services. You know, how do you deploy a network service today? You know, I would say when you look at an Autobot on the surface and you see things like sites and devices and so forth, it's not as apparent how you might apply a network service right, to a subset of devices. And so you know, right now, you know, something for upcoming is exploring the idea of groups. Things like dynamic groups and static groups. So, you know, based on you know static grouping is is the is easier on to to you know to rock here. You know, these ten devices are in that group, or i.e., a service which is then used right to apply configuration to, or is dynamic. You know, it could be via regular expression, pattern matching, or it could be based on other criteria that are defined. But ultimately, the goal there, dynamic groups, is to have those built in such a way where you can apply specific attributes or configuration parameters to not just every device or IP address within a default construct like a site, but we want to have that be a bit more dynamic and friendly for how network services are deployed. I'll throw a third one out there around around cloud to have 
you know, some models that exist. And even if it's things like SSOT and synchronization to be able to synchronize with platforms like Amazon and Azure and GCP and, and so on. You know, clearly there's, you know, much more uh, cloud networking. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> you said throw a third it, one out there. I mean, that's a, that's a big <laughs> one. I mean, that's yeah, a, that's a yeah, lot of yeah, territory yeah. to cover if you go down that road for sure. Well, guys, this has been a great overview of Nautobot, why it exists, what I'm supposed to do with it, um, what the future is, et cetera. Thank you very much for spending the time. Uh, Jason, starting with you, um, would you let folks know how they can follow you on the Internet? And then if you want to plug any Nautobot-specific resources, please do. Sure. Yeah, I'm at jedelman8 on Twitter. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And for Nautobot, like the best place to, to start would be the GitHub organization called Nautobot. Excellent. And uh, also the Network to Code blog, you guys have been writing a lot about Nautobot use cases and so on, yeah? Yeah, exactly. You know, we're averaging probably at least at least one a week for the past, you know, eight to ten, eight to ten months. So on that note, also plug also plug Slack, public NTC Slack or Slack that slack.networktocode.com self sign up and then there's a Nautobot channel in there as well, really to ask questions and, and really get started around uh, around Nautobot. Excellent. And then John, same question uh, to you. Yeah, no, it it, uh, it wouldn't be a packet pushers podcast with NTC if we didn't plug the the, the Slack. So that is the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, just at John, I'm on LinkedIn at Lamp Winds, like the like the lamp stack, you know, from the oh, yeah, yeah. turn of the yeah. millennia. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I have very negative opinions about social media. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're joining the crowd there, John. Okay. Again, thanks to Jason Edelman and John Anderson for being on Heavy Networking today. If you got value from this episode but want even more, well, we Packet Pushers also have a Slack group. You can get a hold of that, packetpushers.net slash Slack. It's free. You'll be joining over 1,800 IT engineers, networking and cloud nerds especially, that are to be found the world over. And again, that's packetpushers.net slash Slack. And uh, check out the Jobs channel when you get in there. There's opportunities posted if you're looking for a career change. And if another Slack group feels like you just you just can't do another one, okay, uh, we have a free newsletter at packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Human Infrastructure Magazine is a weekly, and it makes you a better engineer by sharing good stuff about career, performing complex technical tasks, IT news we think you might be affected by, and heavily curated quick takes on vendor announcements. And I do mean, I do mean heavily curated. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>